0: i vaccine or mra will ever flow through my fucking
1: blood blood never i will fucking die fucking fighting for my fathers and my fucking lineage fuck these motherfuckers Folks, look at those clouds of uh fake. <laughs> Such a such an antisocial habit. Uh right, what are we doing today? Um unusual time for streaming. I have uh tasks that I need to do tomorrow, which would be my normal streaming time, and the information is, is backing up and there's I don't know, a couple of papers that I've said I will go through. I think it's important to stay a breast when something new or data that helps fill in the uh the finer strokes of the the masterpiece that we're creating. And so I'm going to have a crack at that today and then the bigger stream where well, I want I do want to do the COVID uh COVID conspiracies. Every time I click that tab open, I just I just crack up laughing so um pff, so we may as well we may as well crack on uh, I wanna I wanna get this done relatively quickly. I've got uh lots sleep to do and a lot to do tomorrow. So let's do this. Oh, yeah okay uh, shout out to you've been nudged for the uh Vaxmen. Nice um nice meme. Uh good quality. And you know this Particular set of data uh, at this time doesn't involve vaccines. Uh, at least my cursory reading. Maybe as we look a little more in depth, we'll find uh, that's not the case. But uh, initial sort of scans seems to be data specifically around SARS-CoV-2 infection, and you know my area of interest is the neurological impact. Because I think that there's uh, there's the fingerprint of the incapacitation mechanism that these people were so 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 fixated on and trying to develop their countermeasures for. So let us quickly step through um, a quick cluster date. That's me. Find me on the internet. Do it. Don't be lazy. Uh, please support the stream. Go to McCann Dojo. Uh, all the uh, st- tip links are there but also down below if you're watching on rumble please 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 try and send uh the doc a shekel or two keep him in the fight uh you can join the discord there register, to be notified you can watch the stream live on the website as well and uh of course uh, much of that support goes to uh project uh our decentralization project which at the moment is about just trying to get information out there don't be such victims to the uh corporate corporate vampires out there and so we're trying to carve out a little uh, a little ecological niche in the uh in the ether uh let's see uh, can I have to tell you our boys working overtime yes <laughs> we'll try our best right so no current events i want to get uh, into the paper. So first one was, uh, it hasn't been published yet, but uh, genomic determinants of long COVID. And this is what's called a GWAS, a genome-wide associated study, which tries to look at population levels to see correlate symptoms with um, gene loci, if you like. And
2: I guess we can go through this one very uh, or or quite quickly because there's not a whole bunch in it, but I I can
1: skim through and uh, of course they're looking for the regular signs of COVID, but there was one particular locus, which they found um, interestingly and again, uh, why am I doing this? Because I want to want to keep the focus on the uh, the neurology, the neuroscience, and um, the as you go through all their metrics. There's one thing that sticks out there. I don't know if you can see it, but
2: um, with the well, the subjective experience of
1: a post viral syndrome the fatigue the crushing fatigue um, and <laughs> myalgia the joint aches etc are um can be overwhelming and the one the uh one locus that they did find correlated to um one that's been associated with depression and yeah, that kind of makes sense, I guess. Um, it seems it's a little bit of a lightweight study. I don't I, I don't know if it'll get published. Genome-wide association studies always seem a little uh little messy to me, but uh again, sort of maybe maybe an interesting data point as we step into more of the neuroscience and this paper structural brain changes in patients with post covid fatigue prospective observational study now um i quite like this study and uh, it's my own my own biases but the data lands very much in the basal ganglia and in this I've been arguing this beginning that you you, you can expect all kinds of um, neurological, neuropsychiatric impacts when you start messing around with th- those particular networks. And so, in this instance, they were doing a uh, structural
2: uh, MRI to uh, so uh, volumetric MRI, sorry, and a bunch of tests. I guess. I was
1: whenever I think of these para um, parametric cognitive tests, I always think of uh, Hannibal Lecter. <laughs> you think you could dissect me with this blunt tool? <laughs> but anyway, we'll we'll take it that they're pulling out some. Some consistencies in these uh, questionnaires, but the uh, let's see. Well, we can we, we I can read the findings, and then we can look at the pictures. Are quite pretty. So, their diffusion imaging analysis revealed aberrant fractional anisotropy of the thalamus. So, the thalamus um, is a complex nuclei that sits very much uh, in the middle. Uh, of the brain if you like so if you've got the two halves as they come together the thalamus is embedded right on the sort of midline and receives or receives input from a lot of areas and it's a critical node in the loops network loops that we describe going through cortex through basal ganglia into thalamus and back to cortex and um to find to pick out structural changes there is, well, it, the the machines are just getting better and better, I, I guess, and I'm getting older and older. So anyway, uh, so they see fractional anisotropy, so
2: how best to explain that. So your, when the magnet switches on and switches off, there's a...
1: Maybe I'm thinking of tension, diffusion, and isotropy.
2: But basically, you can sort of... There would be expected directions of activation for
1: the induced magnetic spin, and if there are disruptions in it, then it won't concord with uh, the atlases that they would compare. So that's... As easier way as I can think of breaking it down, but um, if you want, if you want to, it's a fascinating, complex topic. Uh, diffusion markers correlated with fatigue severity, such as physical fatigue, fatigue-related impairment in everyday life, and daytime sleepiness. Moreover, we observed shape deformations and decreased volumes of the left thalamus. Putamen and Pallidum. These overlapped with the most extensive subcortical changes in MS?
3: That's MS. Hmm. Don't drop a... Uh
2: Multiple sclerosis, ah, so they're using uh, aged match multiple sclerosis patients, okay, so
1: MS. And we're associated with impaired short-term memory while fatigue severity was not related to COVID-19 disease courses. So uh, again, there's there's that interesting wild card in the data that you don't have to have a, a stint in the ICU to develop these Long persistent symptoms, and again, th- th- these to me clinically are, are the indicators of a ongoing inflammatory response in the, in the brain. Uh where where, where, where are we uh, post acute s- sleep quality and depressiveness emerged as associated factors, and were accompanied by increased levels of anxiety and daytime sleepiness. Uh, I interpret these results as being characteristic structural imaging changes of the thalamus and basal ganglia underlie the persistent fatigue experienced by patients with post-COVID syndrome. And I've been saying that for bloody years now. (laughs) So it's nice to, nice to have some evidence dropping across my desk that um, would, would support those premises so again uh, it means we're we're on target uh evidence of pathological pathological changes to the subcortical motor and cognitive hubs provide a key to the understanding of post-covid fatigue and related neuropsychiatric conditions or complications i should say um so i think we can just look at the pictures real real quick um and just get a idea of the structure so uh, you know if you don't know these great blobs they kind they kind of uh look how you how you would expect thalamus, uh, thalamus to look and um you're kind of looking at the front and imagine they've sort of took the two hemispheres of the brain and sort of peeled it apart so you're sort of looking at the inside edges where they would normally be closed together and i guess they see here some changes in the diffusion tensor imaging and uh here i guess they're looking at the underneath and um i would i would expect if they're honing in on Cortico basal ganglia pathways that you, you would expect the dorso ventro
2: no, sorry, ventrolateral, posterior regions of the thalamus to be implicated, I guess is the best way of um,
1: saying that. So, thalamus, and the thalamus is a, like I say, it's a critical node in the brain. It sits very centrally and the um there's there's a fingerprint there's the um telltale signature they're claiming and
2: uh yeah it's um it's nice to sort of see a um
1: confirmation so in this instance Uh, We're next going down. Maybe it would help if I might have a good example here, actually. Just some one-dimensional.
2: So, if you're looking at the brain front on, um, this is the putamen. I don't
1: know, maybe it's not so... Well, it's clear to me, but... (laughs) Maybe not so much to you. Um, so, this is a side... So like, looking at it sideways. So, this is the putamen and the chordate, globus pallidus, thalamus. Okay, and essentially they form these loops, functional loops, sensory motor, executive,
2: limbic. And... um Here we can see
3: anterior lateral view. Now if I, if I
2: was looking at this and I was, I would say that they were including accumbens here. So, um, but no, I guess, I guess, see this looks more
1: posterior to me and this looks anterior, but uh, if you're just looking at the putamen, I guess it does, it does curl round. So again, um, can we, can we define these circuits a little better? So the limbic regions are the chordate, which They're apparently not showing. But the pudiman is a very sensory motor orientated network. Um, You get issues in that domain. You've, uh, well, in the Parkinson's state, uh, you develop the uh, rigidity and tremors. And the this region projects to the pallidum. Now, I'm not sure if they've done external or internal segment or included it as one chunk, but usually it's slipped into two. And again, they've put little red blobs on it saying that they can see some
2: some signature there. And again, it's, it's <laughs> you could you could have
1: the uh, the the no virus people going. Well, where's the real brain? <laughs> it's just a it's just a computer generated image. Don't mean anything. Um. Yeah. I could sometimes I get that feeling about MRI, PET data, functional MRI. There's that there's a degree of you can tweak the software that you're doing the analysis with to yeah turn up turn up turn down, and it it's it's quite the uh art to um really really pull out clean data, but i'm gonna trust that they've that they've done that and um you know what do we what can we see here? Next is just a strong correlation with uh, fatigue, yes, yes, um, so fatigue, uh, you know, going on with the genomic aspect, uh, correlation plots of clinical parameters, neuropsychiatric scales, and cognitive tests. Long-term fatigue was unrelated to the severity of acute COVID-19 disease, Again, that same wildcard. Instead, post-COVID fatigue was associated with higher depressiveness, anxiety, and an increased susceptibility, susceptibility to errors on the test of higher attention. Post-COVID disease duration is defined as the time between the onset of COVID and study assessment. So, you know, uh, I would be um, interested in how they put that in the discussion. I imagine it will be... No, it's bloody long. (laughs) Okay, very verbose way of uh, describing uh, what was essentially two two, free figures. So our study shows that post-COVID fatigue is associated with distinct structural brain alterations in subcortical hubs that are detectable using MRI. Specifically, we identified reduced volumes and aberrant diffusion markers of the thalamus and basal ganglia that correlated with fatigue severity and impairment in daily activities, daytime sleepiness, and short-term memory problems importantly this pattern of pathological changes emerged even though this cohort is relatively young most patients were not hospitalized during their acute infection and patients were in overall good health before covid-19 a novel finding that post-covid fatigue is associated with structural brain damage highlights the importance of consequent therapeutic manage of management of this debilitating post-infectious syndrome i agree this is again something um I've spent a lot of time talking, but it's actually bloody refreshing to, <laughs> to not be looking at uh, vaccine studies, I guess. Uh, so, fatigue is one of the most common detrimental sequelae of COVID 19. This we know around 20 to 30% of patients with COVID 19 experience fatigue. 12 weeks after their acute infection independent of a previous hospitalization in line with this we found the fatigue severity was independent severity of the acute disease such as duration of COVID-19 the number of acute symptoms in contrast post-COVID fatigue was strongly associated with the manifestation of depressive symptoms and sleep quality several months after the acute infection yeah and you know goes to the old adage that sleep is the best medicine but you know when you've had your brain assaulted <laughs> I could can, I can tell you from experience uh sleep doesn't come easy. It sounds a bit like dementia um well th- th- we have to be very careful about how we classify this this is this is an initial insult to what would have been quote unquote healthy brain tissue. Does it set the ground for dementia to occur and i would be a strong proponent of saying yes but is it dementia at this stage Oof, you 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 could have so much back and forth between neurologists etc in this in this domain um i guess you know the the knockdown test would be to be able to go in and sample i don't know so alpha synuclein or um what's it phosphorylated tau that that sort of level of analysis but um for sure for sure it could be the initial phases and you know we've got to think back to studies that have shown even young primates develop uh lewy body um build up in the brain and you know that's a signature probably of these processes going on the question is how much are you going to bring back the person to a healthy state and I can I can tell you from bitter (laughs) bitter experience I don't think it's very difficult to get back to the pre-state especially if you've had
2: Uh, an assault like this that that could show up like that. Surely there's mushrooms that can stop dementia. I wish. (laughs) I wish. Look, once the disease state is in,
1: you can live a lifestyle that you're just going to deteriorate much quicker, or you can try and live a lifestyle where you'll eke out a few more extra years. That's that's the way I think about it, and you know, if, if you've got to take your fish oil and whatever else your vitamins, I guess that's what I do.
2: I, I would encourage other people to do the same. Stop drinking. Other uh, questions? Just chilling. Do you mean like NMR?
1: uh nuclear magnetic resonance um it's it's kind of, it's it's different i guess than so nuclear magnetic resonance would you you would use that more in a analytic type lab for
2: investigation of molecules um mri is different the cns is complex and fascinating yeah yeah i mean look i'm sick of it personally but it's how
1: i make my living right and the um you know i've i've made a point of trying to bring home that this was a feature of the disease and this occurring in around twenty or thirty percent, and that's a consistent figure that keeps coming up in the literature. I can't believe that the they're, they're all they're all malingerers. They're not all. Uh, uh, I just tip jarred you. No Middle Eastern Chad action, though. Well, we will uh, sort that out uh, straight away. Uh, I will I just check that it uh, went through, and uh, we'll get the Chads rolling. There it is, and uh Chad, bring on chemical alley <laughs> peace be upon chemical alley, um,
2: okay, so, where we were we. my place we did we did about doesn't doesn't correlate well with the actual initial
1: severity in contrast post-covid fatigue was strongly associated with the manifestation of depressive symptoms and sleep quality we did that although fatigue is a subjective symptom based on self report has substantial and relevant consequences for a patient's everyday life and again i have been hammering home that the subjective experience of of the post-viral state um to me is indicative of basal ganglia assault um you know coupled with uh, these people probably have viral reservoirs as well systemically but the to, to have such a profound subjective experience of the fatigue and Myalgia, etc. The um, you 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 have to be involving the central nervous system. I I would posit so. The continuous experience of overwhelming exhaustion and low energy levels impacts quality of life, and around thirty to fifty percent of patients are unable to return to their previous workplace. Results on associated risk factors are heterogeneous, but accumulating evidence suggests that early neurological involvement may be an important precondition of long-term fatigue. That would correlate with my experience. That's the structural imaging changes in the thalamus and basal ganglia observed in this study. The first description of fatigue-related brain correlates in patients with post-COVID syndrome. The distinct pattern of subcortical involvement is consistent with evidence from other neurological disorders associated with fatigue. Patients with multiple sclerosis and fatigue, magnetic resonance imaging, and PET imaging have consistently pointed to alterations of cortico-subcortical pathways, also involving the thalamus, basal ganglia, and prefrontal cortex. Specifically, imaging correlates in fatigue patients with MS include atrophy, reduced perfusion, reduced glucose metabolism, increased activation during motor tasks, and disrupted functional connectivity. And yeah it's that functional connectivity that uh, that is the
2: higher the higher dimensional framework upon which you drape your um
1: your your behavior right the the hyper connectivity is is a uh prerequisite it seems to the more complex behaviours, so you start disrupting those, and then yeah. it, you're you're not gonna feel yourself. In this study of patients with post-COVID-19 fatigue, we observed significant volume reductions of the left thalamus and bilateral putamen that were accompanied by marked surface inversions seen in shape analysis. Moreover, aberrant diffusion markers in the thalamus and right pallidum correlated with fatigue severity, daytime entire sleepiness, and the extent of fatigue-related disability in everyday life. Furthermore, prominent fatigue after administration of interferon alpha was found to be associated with higher basal ganglia metabolism interesting these findings suggest now wh- why would that be right so the body is producing interferon as a way to um shut down
2: the virus's ability to hijack and
1: force the cell to start making its proteins rather than what it would normally be doing for normal physiology and you know, I I can just relate to you during my experience. The first time that I had post-viral syndrome in my 20s, I w- I had to learn the lesson. It was a hard lesson of your body's telling you to rest. You, you It's trying to get better. Your body's trying to get itself into better shape. And it, it, literally that means learning to let go of... I don't know, you know, when you're young and fit and you've got that snap to sort of get through, you've got to go running, you've got to go lift some weights, you've got to go out, whatever. You have to temper that and realize that now ah, suddenly you're, you're incapacitated. Rest. Rest, rest, rest. And um, yeah, again, it comes down to sleep being the best medicine. And you know what's the what's the sweet spot between
2: you know so say that we know there's going to be signaling between
1: systemic states you know like interferon signaling
2: and feedback into the brain and you would you would want to.
1: so you've got to rest interfere so if interfere on load goes up because the body's trying to respond to spike generation remember spike generation could be coming literally from anywhere and immune privileged regions like the central nervous system would be a um could be a hidey spot for the virus um it is for hiv uh, bu, 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 bu. Uh, so, where were we? These findings suggest that a distinct pattern of pathological brain changes gives rise to fatigue symptoms across diseases, similar to previous descriptions of shared correlates of memory dysfunction in neuroimmunological disorders. Molecular pathophysiology underlying fatigue is, however, still unclear. Although studies reporting cytokine and endocrine abnormalities suggest an immune-mediated mechanism, there is currently no effective cell-based or serum marker available for clinical practice. The basal ganglia support a wide range of functions beyond motor control, including memory, motivation, and reward-guided behavior. Recently, it's been suggested that effort-reward imbalance, i.e., a biased perception towards high-performance costs, oh god, this <laughs> this is where the clinical psychology comes in, and that you're going to learn, right? That 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 had to be one of the biggest <sighs> columnas ever made, I think, when. The National Health Service in the UK decided that people just needed cognitive behavioral therapy and exercise to get over the assault that had happened um, in, in the in the context of historical CFS it doesn't work and often what happens is is that the person has a good day, works a little bit works maybe a little too much and then the body it crashes back down again and they're trying to set their, their their argument is is that it's all it's all just in your mind right it's a figment of your imagination and no no it's it's not it's there's there's obviously something not right with these networks and um yeah we're we're seeing the fingerprint of that in this in this paper Uh, So, indeed, this perception bias was linked to alterations of basal ganglia, functional connectivity, and dysfunction of corticostriatal networks, in particular a disruption of dopaminergic basal ganglia circuits, may be a major neural substrate of fatigue, and has been referred to as the dopamine imbalance hypothesis of fatigue. Given our current findings on basal ganglia damage and accumulating evidence of neuroimmunological etiology, disruption of corticosteroidal circuits with dopaminergic imbalance in the basal ganglia might contribute to post-COVID fatigue. Well, you know, the easiest way to test that would be to put these patients on L-DOPA. See if that helps. Um, That that would be a good challenge test. Uh, I think it might be a little more complex than that, than... I'd want I'd want to see that there was specific damage to dopaminergic pathways rather than the intrinsic circuitry of each node within the basal ganglia because it might it might not matter just how much you know it'd be like trying to put oil onto a set of rusty gears but if the gears are broken and um you know smashed up it doesn't matter how much oil You put onto those gears they're not gonna they're not gonna unseize and unwrap themselves but um yeah it's 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 their
2: hypothesis i guess um i would i would i would i would think more structural
1: than neurotransmittive at this stage um
2: i'm pretty sure if you did like a spinal tap and measured the Uh, the
1: spinal cerebral spinal fluid you probably wouldn't see huge differences and i'm not aware of any being reported in the literature at the moment so uh it's and it's but it's amenable to testing that's for sure uh, where were we? So, in addition to basal ganglia involvement, altered thalamic function has gained more attention as a correlate of fatigue throughout the last years. Uh, in a study using FDG pet what is that fluorodeoxyglucose uh, in patients with early relapsing remitting ms lower thalamic glucose metabolism at rest was associated with higher fatigue moreover fatigue patients with ms showed lower cerebral blood flow in the thalamus putamen and and chordate compared to healthy controls in the latter perfusion mri study higher fatigue was related to lower cerebral blood flow and cerebral blood volume. Indeed, given its role as a hub-like gateway relaying sensory and motor information between cortical and subcortical areas, as I said in the beginning, it's conceivable that disease-related changes to thalamic structure or function contribute to fatigue-related and cognitive symptoms. In our study cohort, the most common subjective complaints of patients with post-COVID fatigue were exhaustion, difficulties to concentrate, and forgetfulness. Tell me about it. These complaints were reported by patients during study interviews and mirror the fatigue correlates obtained using standardized neuroimaging assessments. For instance, aberrant diffusion markers in the thalamus and pallidum were related to fatigue scores on validated clinical scales. Moreover, reduced fal- phalamic impudum volumes were associated with worse... Verbal short term memory on a word list a learning paradigm. On a test of higher attention, patients with higher fatigue scores committed more errors when asked to perform two tasks simultaneously. This difficulty in allocating attentional resources to complex tasks quantifies the subjective experience of struggling with constant concentration in everyday life. Yeah. I right, know that. <laughs>
2: Some of the main strengths of this study are its prospective design and
1: its stringent inclusion criteria. All included patients had documentation of positive PCR tests for COVID-19, fulfilled the International WHO consensus criteria for post-COVID-19 syndrome, and underwent standard neuropsychiatric and cognitive assessments. uh, The high proportion of female patients in our study sample reflects the higher prevalence of fatigue in women that has also been reported in post-COVID-19 syndrome. Although the mechanisms underlying these sex differences are not yet fully understood, a higher susceptibility to immune-mediated disease may be a key factor. Uh, at a median of seven and a half months after the acute infection. Subjective f- fatigue presentation in this sample spanned cognitive and motor fatigue equally. Future studies may determine how the subject experience, subjective sorry, experience of central fatigue relates to peripheral measures of performance fatigability. Additionally, we observe that post-COVID-19 fatigue is accompanied by increased levels of daytime dysfunction, sleep problems, anxiety, and depressiveness that further add to the disease burden. It could be argued that these symptoms may arise from general pandemic related stressors such as social isolation or financial insecurity rather than the virus infection itself. However, our control group was well matched regarding age, sex, and education and assessed during the same period in the same city as the patient group and therefore exposed to the same socio-economic and societal stressors. Consequently, the here observed group differences of fatigue-related changes in mood, energy levels and sleep are very likely attributed to post-COVID-19 syndrome, which is why I'm always going to push back at those that say, ah, it was all lockdown or it was all vaccines. That doesn't explain the people who are in this condition now. It doesn't explain the excess deaths that we have now, and surreptitious disease mechanisms that are generally you know unless you've got the you know a free tesla mRI um
2: are, are likely going to be difficult to pick out in a patient and so it it It's not fair on the, on those
1: who have been impacted Um, when people, because it's the same argument of, oh, it's, it's all in your head, right? You're imagining it. And that's, that's an unfair way to, um, to lump, you know, what is a, (laughs) a significant percent of the population. If the Figures for registration in uh, those who are unable to work because of disability, which has literally just shot up. I don't know, like four, or five sigma change, maybe more
2: in in the past couple of years. Yeah, there's there's a there's something going on. It, it would be unwise to dismiss the data. Now, of course
1: on the converse of that you have to accept that some people um you know the lockdown environment wasn't good for them etc and there could have been changes there but does it does it manifest as the discrete signature that we're seeing here and as they're making the argument they see correlates with uh multiple sclerosis and you know i would i would put forward the argument that over time what you'll see is the emergence of the degenerative state. And that's, that's what we are seeing. Right? The excess deaths, non-COVID excess deaths, primarily are in the neurodegenerative and the cardiovascular domain. Uh, what's their weaknesses uh, several limitations the study underlies general limitations of cross-sectional designs longitudinal studies that needed to determine the duration and course of symptoms yep yeah, it would be nice to track them but every month for five years uh, and test therapies I guess results from our exploratory analysis are to be interpreted with caution due to the novelty of the disease the purpose of these analysis was to generate new hypotheses for future studies they're not new Doc McCann beat you to it by years In conclusion, our analysis show that a distinct pattern of thalamic and basal ganglia changes is associated with post-COVID fatigue. Imaging alterations include volume reductions, surface deformations, and aberrant diffusion markers that correlate with the severity and everyday impact of fatigue symptoms. Moreover, we show that post-fatigue Needs to be managed in a wider clinical array that also considers sleep quality. Yes, critical, which is why I'm trying to finish up quickly. Mood alterations and cognitive impairment. Future research will determine whether these fatigue symptoms are transient or persistent. Uh, Yada, yada, yada. Please give us more money, basically. Um, The new normal of feeling like crap most days. Yep, uh, get used to it. Right, so I have another paper that I wanted to do, which is I've rented this one. Uh, fucking cost me thirteen quid. But um, I, I, I thought it was important in the context of what we're talking about right now. But I'm gonna, I need a drink. So just bear with me. I will be back in a few minutes. So what are we going to do next? Well, I think this rather germane to the current ah, discussions, I guess, that is being
2: bandied about by uh, individuals, which is um, how... in trying to understand causal
1: mechanisms for disease states you would like to find a pathogen or pathogen related signal or substrate that you can point to and say aha that could potentially be causing these uh or, or driving the continued long-term symptoms that you see in these patients and what this study does is
2: looks at spike protein in post-acute state and
1: looks for um free free spike so i've rented this paper so we're going to uh try and rinse it for all it's worth um seems somewhat long but uh all right let's get into it yeah we know about sars etc we know it's about this this is 10 to 30 percent uh 12 weeks while the definition and scope of pats remains to be determined it's currently defined as new or persistent symptoms of covid19 beyond four weeks of acute infection not explained by other underlying etiologies if only a small fraction of patients go on to develop PASC, it will have an enormous impact for years. It is imperative to understand the mechanisms of acute and post-acute COVID-19 disease pathogenesis. Identify those most at risk of developing, yada, yada, yada. Recent studies suggest that SARS-CoV-2 RNA disseminates to extra pulmonary tissues in asymptomatic mild infections and that viral RNA can reside in tissue for over seven months. SARS CoV 2 spike protein mediates lung injury and vascular damage by inducing endothelial dysfunction and inflammation. We previously reported significant. A bit easier on my.
3: Can I close this? Uh.
2: But, 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 but. Something about apoptosis, right? We previously reported significant
1: apoptosis of microvascular endothelial cells on exposure to plasma derived extracellular vesicles from hospitalized COVID 19 patients. In this study, we examined if the circulation of SARS CoV 2 RNA or spike is associated with acute disease severity and if its persistence correlated uh, with manifestations of PAC. And um, perhaps what's uh, most interesting is so. Uh, Measurement of SARS-CoV-2 RNA was used using a droplet digital PCR. <laughs> That's a new one for me. And we'll, we'll just uh, we'll just say that yeah, they were tagging and getting a positive PCR on their plasma. I um, hope they were doing it right. Isolation of extracellular vesicles, and you know this um, this gets
2: to my point that I've had in earlier streams and relating to the
1: direction that CUI uh, has taken which is um, there's a lot of work that goes into trying to understand cellular signaling and what the extracellular vesicles are the exosomes as they're pumped out into the environment okay so how are they doing that so EVs were isolated from EDTA plasma using ultracentrifugation. Hemolysis of blood was ruled out by visually inspecting plasma samples for any pink discoloration indicative of hemolysis or by measuring the absorbance of hemoglobin at 414 nanometers. About 1 ml of platelet-free plasma was centrifuged at 20,000 G for 15 minutes at 4 degrees C, removed large-sized extracellular vesicles, and the supernatants were then centrifuged at 100,000 G for 70 minutes at 40 degrees C, washed with PBS, and spun again by 70 minutes to isolate small EVs. The abundant size, distribution, and purity of small EVs was compared among different groups using nanocyte LM10 system, transmission electron microscopy, and western blot analysis of easy EV markers using CD9, CD81,
2: Alex Antibodies, as mentioned in our previous publication. Uh, Eliza is a chromatography. Uh,
1: Enzyme-linked immunoabsorbent assay is a a labelled immunoassay that is considered the gold standard of immunoassays. The immunological test is very sensitive and is used to detect and quantify substances including antibodies, antigens, proteins, glycoproteins, and hormones. So, take that to the bank. Uh, So, levels of SARS-CoV-2 spike protein in the plasma, and EV lysate were determined using SARS-CoV-2 spike protein ELISA kit, according to manufacturing instructions. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, I don't think we need to dwell too much on that. And uh, what are we looking at? Demographics and characteristics um so q
2: 116 total and then pass negative 14 pass positive 33
1: and yeah in this one more more females than males um it seems to be targeting whitey more
2: than uh Asians black or african american Other unknown. Um,
1: Guess. I don't know what's a normal. Body mass actually. I guess it seems within range. For each one of those. Um, Days between symptom onset. Last positive test. And study enrollment. Uh, 135 days. (laughs) Negative 201. Positive. And yeah. So presence of viral RNA soluble spike and or EV link spike in the plasma of COVID-19 patients with acute disease. The reverse transcription droplet digital polymerase chain reaction. (laughs) It's the first time I've heard of that one. Uh, Revealed the presence of viral RNA in 35% of hospitalized COVID-19 patients. Check if positivity was due to the presence of free viral RNA in circulation. RNA treatment was given to a small set of samples. Before DDPCR analysis, and viral RNA levels dropped in most of the samples. Some samples still showed high levels of viral RNA, possibly due to the existence of free virions in the plasma, or because their incubation time with RNAs was too short to completely degrade free RNA in samples with higher viral RNA levels to begin with.
3: Uh, bup, bup, bup.
2: Spike viral RNA. Um so the D dimer is again a
3: they're highlighting it here. That's one to in keeping an eye on. Indicate ongoing clotting. Um C-reactive protein in normal range.
2: Interesting. Uh what, did, what that? So plasma analysis for spike by ELISA showed the
1: presence of spike in 62% of acute COVID-19 patients. The level of spike showed a significant positive correlation with peak WHO score along with D-dimer and length of hospitalization. Some of the samples that had circulating spike did not have detectable levels of viral RNA, while other samples that had viral RNA did not have detectable spike. While 34% of acute COVID 19 patients were positive for only spike, positivity for viral RNA alone was observed in only 6% of the total samples analyzed. This suggests that spike may be freely circulating independently of circulating virions and circulating viral RNA may include free viral RNA or its fragments during acute infection with SARS-CoV-2. Again, this comes down to the argument of when the hijacking of the cell occurs, The what people are calling replication incompetent, I would call um foot soldiers for prepping the battlefield
2: right so by spitting out just spike protein you're we know
1: that it's cytopathic so it's going to cause more I Guess irritation is one way of thinking about it that's going to favor the more of the tissue being infected by the complete viruses themselves so that's that's so that's how i see these fragments right it's softening up target uh, so we previously demonstrated an increased number of plasma derived small evs and it's altered cargo to be associated with disease severity of hospitalized covid 19 patients See if circulating spike is linked to EVs. We analyzed EVs from individuals which showed positivity for spike in total plasma. Results indicated that 44% spike positive hospitalized patients showed the presence of spike in EVs. The level of spike linked to EVs There's a lot of slate <laughs> and uh, a lot of tongue twisters in this. Uh, paper. The level of spike-linked EVs significantly correlated with D-dimer. Yet yeah, we just did that in acute COVID-19 patients. We also checked for the presence of viral RNA using the DD-PCR, droplet PCR, uh, from acute patients. Interestingly, we were not able to detect viral RNA in any of the EV samples, tested at figure 1D. Interesting. Uh, persistent circulation of viral RNA and EV-linked soluble spike is associated with post-acute sequelae of COVID. We grouped PASC patients into PASC positive and PASC negative. Based on the self-reported symptoms, PASC symptoms included primarily fatigue, shortness of breath, brain fog, along with sleep disturbances, mood changes, loss of taste, smell, fever, myalgias, headaches, chest pain, post-exertional malaise, and cough, and so on. There was no difference in vaccination status between PASC positive and negative groups interesting so i would interpret that the vaccination status didn't impact who was going to get and again this is consistent with data that we've seen before the jabs do not protect against getting long COVID. and in my mind if they're spitting out um spike proteins and toxic fragments and epitopes perhaps could prime you for long COVID. um we screened to ensure that administration of mRNA vaccines were not confounding the level of spike detected in PASC patients. The earliest time between a recent vaccination and blood draw for this study was 21 days in one patient, and this patient was PASC negative, did not have detectable level of spike. All other vaccinations were more than 30 days before consent biospecimens were obtained. Patients with PASC were more likely to have a pre-existing pulmonary disease, in which which in most cases was mild to moderate asthma, or obstructive sleep apnea, while PASC-negative were more likely to have diabetes, coronary artery disease, or kidney disease, uh, given the nature of the active two cohort. I don't know what that means. Examination of the viral RNA in the plasma from PASC-positive and PASC-negative individuals showed that 28% of PASC-negative samples had viral RNA copies, and you're from 0.08 to 2.13 copies per microliter, whereas... 59% of PASC-positive patients had viral RNA in circulation, up to 12.74 copies per microliter. RNA's treatment of plasma before RNA isolation resulted in a drop of viral RNA copies in most of the samples from the PASC-positive group. Furthermore, viral RNA plasma showed a strong positive correlation with days of hospitalization.
2: Now, I wonder... um Hang on, let me just see this question. Uh, so, is full-length spike
1: on EVs contributing to disease more than spike peptide fragments? Uh, the full-length versus fragments play distinct role disease, I believe. Yeah, I I, I think the same. And um, I I think a lot depends on location, just time course, the health status of the individual uh, in question. So um, that it's a there's no simple answers here uh, i'm afraid and you know the unpredictability of the disease course where you know even mild cases lead to the post-acute sequelae state is you know it's makes it makes the clinician's job harder um it's the reference for this paper here. Yeah, it is. Um, I've only rented the paper. I mean, I could grab screenshots of it, I guess. Um, yeah, I bet they. I bet they do something gay, like make it so you can't get the whole paper on. Ah, I could get that maybe. Um, I can. I can give you the link for the paper. Uh, doc, have you seen Utopia UK version? It's predictive programming for sure. Yeah, maybe maybe but you know <laughs> i don't know what do you do with those data points you just have
3: to say okay <laughs> uh it's a reference but yes um let me just do that Bear with me one second whilst (laughs) out. Stuff. You know what? You know what, Mary? I'll uh, I'll I'll get it to you.
1: I'd have to. There's there's so much in my
2: sort of aggregation folder. It'll take me a while. You know what? I can do. Probably give you the DOI. Yeah. Look. I won't let me. (laughs) Fuck you. (laughs) I will not be beaten by this thing. Uh, Let's see. Let's go back to... Uh, And I'll paste that in. So there you should see all the details. Um, there on the on the screen. Uh, would the
1: RNA-dependent RNA polymerase of COV be necessary for translation of pro- into protein? I mean, that would be the presumption, right?
3: I don't know. I mean, there's there's a
2: Well, it's if the transfer from cytoplasm into chromosomal pathways is, and you know there are papers pointing to that, and
1: the spike protein can be spat out as it would read from the chromosome, then. Perhaps the
2: RNA-dependent polymerase wouldn't be necessary. Yeah, yeah, that's that's what I think. There
1: is it possible? Will it stay accessible to archive the paper since you have access to it? I mean, if I can be asked to screen cap every um, every page, <laughs> look. You, oh, you can't see it. it. comes in the way. It's it's clicking down. Forty-seven uh, minutes,
2: <laughs> but you said viral RNA was the cargo. Let's um, uh, let's see if we can. Among these patients, thirty percent were positive for both spike and viral RNA, whereas none of the vid- individuals without PASC were positive for both. The levels of spike and
1: or viral RNA in past positive patients are found to be increased or remain the same as in acute phase. Okay, I hope that helped clarify. Uh, Did that...
3: I'm a uh, persistent circulation. Yeah, we
2: did that. Um, uninfected. So this is their PCR quantification.
3: The RNA
2: treatment and the reduction in RNA. Spike nanograms per mil.
3: Uninfected. Cube.
2: like picograms per micrograms of extracellular vascular vesicular protein
3: two score mm.
2: Uh, I just I, I just wonder if this graph is sort of biased by most people falling in this classification. EV is negative for N1 and N2 clusters. Uh, what would that mean? N1 and N2 clusters. D. Representative 2D plot of DDPCR absence of viral
1: RNA in EVs detected by the presence of internal control, but absence of nucleocapsid cluster EVs from N equals 11 subjects that showed positivity for viral RNA in the corresponding plasma were
2: analysed. So I read that as their...
1: That it's just, they're just detecting spike. spike Spike-related protein and spike-related RNA.
2: I'm prepared to be corrected. Uh, So, moving on, the positive control.
1: D, yeah. EVs from eleven subjects that show positivity for viral RNA in the corresponding plasma were analyzed. Also shown is the 2D plot of positive control synthetic RNA transcript containing five genes EN ORF1ARDRP and S genes, SARS-CoV-2 showing the presence of nucleocapsid cluster. Okay. They don't have nucleocapsid. So what what does that mean? Is is that an indicator that it's it's because of Chromosomal integration and readout, that
3: we're getting that.
2: Or, or is it, well, just the spike protein has a propensity for
1: secretion by extracellular vesicles
2: rather than the N protein. All right, so 59% of PASC-positive patients had viral RNA in circulation. Yeah, didn't we read this? Oh, we've just looked at the figure anyway, so... I won't skip through it. No, 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 they're talking about figure two. Figure two. Okay,
3: pretty much the same. Same, same.
1: So, that's kind of interesting, that the spike concentration in the plasma is greater than the acute.
3: Hmm. Interesting.
2: Viral RNA and or spike protein persistence and circulation is associated with post-acute sequelae of COVID-19. Viral RNA A and spike protein B levels were analyzed in the plasma. Yeah, yeah, And COVID-19
1: recover patients that did not have any persistent system. Yep, SARS-CoV-2 RNA copies were measured using droplet digital PCR. Yeah, we keep talking about that. Longitudinal
2: analysis of viral RNA C1 and C2, yep, I'm going to say increased, acute and post-acute phase of COVID-19 disease with and without PASC,
1: yeah, 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 so what are they trying to do with
2: D, so I get that they're trying to look at these vesicles that they've extracted,
3: Is there supposed to be some bike that we can see there? If there is, you need the
1: eye of faith. Okay, so representative TM micrograph showing EVs at 30,000, 50,000 magnification. Spike protein in the plasma derived from small EVs from individuals with and without PASC measured by ELISA. Okay, um, oh, we've nearly got through it. Presence of spike protein on the surface of EVs. Okay, so how are we testing that? To test if spike is on the surface of EVs, we first compared to the levels of spike in the EVs treated with or without proteinase K. To have enough protein for the analysis, we pulled two patient samples each for a set of N equals 3, as shown in Frig A. Significant decrease was observed in the levels of spike in the EV preparation from severe group patients after the proteinase K treatment. Further cytokine and growth factors have been found to be linked to the EV surface through the heparin sulfate proteoglycans And, uh, Clausen et al. I've reported that spike interacts with heparin sulfate through the receptor binding domain. Yeah, this is, um, One of the things that I would suggest if, uh, well, I don't know how how bad people can get it now, but heparin seemed to help.
2: Heparinase 2 treatment of COVID-19 EVs showed decreased levels of spike when compared to untreated EVs. We confirmed the
1: removal of membrane proteins by proteinase K treatment by examining the level of tetraspanins in EV preparations before and after protonase K treatment. As expected, protonase K treatment resulted in the degradation of CD81 and CD9 from extracellular vessel membrane, whereas both tetraspanins were present in EVs after heparinase 2 treatment. It doesn't mean much to me that... <laughs> I mean, I guess, what are they... Uh, th- this is their test for showing that spike protein is embedded on the surface. So they're
2: they're degrading, they're degrading the EV, and the detectable amount goes down.
3: Why are they doing that, Eliza?
1: It's not entirely clear to me that last figure. I mean, I I get it that this is their this is their test for it being on the surface, but I think you've got to I don't know work with this kind of stuff every day to extract out the precise meaning. I d- I don't know enough about the methods used here. All right, so the discussion. We report that spike and viral RNA can persist for up to one year or longer after acute SARS-CoV-2 infection and associated with PASC. Our observations reveal that levels of spike and or viral RNA in the PASC-positive patients increase or remain the same as in the acute phase, whereas in the PASC-negative group, these viral components decreased or totally absent. Interestingly, we also report the persistent circulation of spike-linked EVs in PASC-positive patients. Mechanisms of how SARS-CoV-2, its components persist and cause prolonged symptoms long after the infection has yet to be elucidated. Proposed theories include that parts of the SARS-CoV-2 genome can be incorporated into the DNA of infected cells. Fragments of SARS-CoV-2 genome may be transcribed at random. Yeah, but we also know that specifically the spike protein can be transferred in, uh, as a whole segment. Was the last paper that we looked at, and I understood. So this could be due to endogenous line one elements. Alternative explanations for SARS-CoV-2 persistence include mechanisms used by other RNA viruses to persist in host cells, evasion of host immune response, infection of long-lived cells, and/or infection of immune privileged tissues such as the brain, eyes, or testes, or diminished cell-mediated immunity. Additionally, SARS-CoV-2 may persist due to an insufficient immune response during acute COVID-19. We did not observe any correlation of viral RNA in plasma with acute disease severity as observed in previous reports. However, some positive correlation of spike with who score during hospitalization and length of hospitalization was observed. This could be explained due to lack of clearance by cell-mediated immunity and or decreased production of early functional neutralizing antibodies both of which are considered a predictor of COVID-19 severity. While we didn't perform whole RNA sequencing, we may be detecting viral RNA fragments because we observed a decrease in viral RNA in most of the samples after RNA's treatment. Further, our test results revealed that only 33% of past patients were positive for both plasma, spike, and viral RNA. In a recently published study, we found that levels of EN RAGE I've got some rage. Uh, IL18R1 and tissue factor in EVs were especially correlated with COVID-19 severity and length of hospitalization. also found that EVs from hospitalized COVID-19 patients induce apoptosis of endothelial cells in vitro. Here we observed that EVs carry spike in both acute COVID-19 and past patients. Given that SARS-CoV-2 replicates in cytosol using endosomal pathway, we found spike to be associated with EVs possible that SARS-CoV-2 can usurp EV biogenesis pathways and conceal itself within
2: EVs for protection against neutralizing antibodies, which to me would argue that they're not on the surface.
1: In addition to the traditional complete viral particles that are secreted into the extracellular space, the viral biogenesis pathway can overlap with the EV pathways in a number of ways, producing a continuum of particle like naked virions, EV-containing infected viral genomes, and quasi-enveloped viruses. did not observe viral RNA in, v- in EVs in post-COVID patients, though a very low copy number may persist below the limit of detection of ddPCR. Removal of surface proteoglycans from EVs with heparinase 2 or treatment with proteinase K Showed a decrease in spike levels, suggesting spike to be present on the surface of EVs via heparin sulfate interactions. However, the lack of total loss of spike after treatment suggests that some of the spike proteins may be encapsulated in the EVs. Numerous studies shed light on the key role of heparin sulfate proteoglycans, SARS CoV 2 binding at the cell membrane. Uh, Heparin sulfate interacts with the adjacent residues of the ACE2 binding site at the receptor binding domain of the S1 subunit of the SARS-CoV-2 trimeric S protein. Uh, Let's see, uh, limitations. We must acknowledge the limitations of our study. PASC has been difficult to study due to the heterogeneity of clinical presentations and lack of a uniform definition. Our past positive patients were defined as those with self-reported subjective symptoms, which may result in an error in cohort designation. Many of the included patients had comorbidities, making it difficult to ascertain if reported symptoms were worsening chronic conditions or from PASC. Another limitation is that acute cohort were all hospitalised patients and received standard of care therapy for their COVID-19 infection, which has evolved over the pandemic. Patients enrolled in the PASC cohort did not all have moderate severe initial infection; and most only had mild acute infections. Thus, the PASC cohort cohort could not be compared directly to our acutely infected cohort, which lacked individuals with mild infection. We also did not have access to the type of variant each patient was infected with or their viral load due to institutional laboratory constraints and acknowledged that we could not discount reinfection with COVID during long-term follow-up routinely. However, samples were drawn eight to 12 weeks after known past infection. An earlier study reports that past patients with mild symptoms during acute infection higher levels of viral RNA, which could be why we observed increased positivity of viral RNA in the past positive group compared to acute patients. Nevertheless, in a small subset of patients where we were able to follow hospitalised patients from their moderate to severe acute illness into the past cohort, found an increase in viral copy numbers in fewer individuals compared to a decrease in viral RNA in past negative group. Also acknowledge the small sample size, yada, yada, yada. And that is it. So, you know, what 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 can we extract from today? So, you know, they're honing in on genetic loci which seem to correlate, I guess, with PASC. So, if you are somewhat depression prone, um, potentially you're
2: more at risk. Um, we looked at the the structural impact on
1: corticobasal ganglia networks and i would still still sit very strongly as that insult being the primary driver for the fatigue malaise myalgia etc and then this this paper which is basically saying even to a year out they're detecting Uh, spike in exosomes and uh, viral RNA as well so um, and you know the paper makes a point that which is what I said earlier that if if you're dealing with something that's in immune privileged regions I mean they mentioned the testers as well but the usual one the people i i would think of is the central nervous system so you know but i had a paper the other day i wanted to do i didn't get round to it which was looking at the liver as a reservoir as well gut potentially um anyway there's there's a how would i sum this up there's a there's a fingerprint there um again, amazing that they're able to find these molecular signatures. I wish this was around 30 years ago. <laughs> and the, um, yeah, it's, I, I do think it's important to remember that there are these people and, um, you know, they they have been assaulted just as much as the people who have been vax injured, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So, um, I will quickly read the chat and then
2: I'm going to head to bed. It's midnight. Uh, Let me just check if anyone has uh, sent a or Oh, yes. Uh, I can say thank you to Stuart. You may have... (sighs)
1: Ah, the had are hogia salo. You had enough. uh all
3: right. So, da, 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 da. Oh. did that? Did that? Um, did the mushroom
2: one? Uh, Talking about the spins, spin states, or something. Oh, yeah. I mean, there's
1: crossover between NMR and MRI. Just nuclear magnetic resonance,
2: in my mind, is more an analytic um, technique for molecules, etc.
1: Uh, let's see. Psychedelic review: psilocin promotes structural and functional neuroplasticity. I agree uh let's see don't give up you have to reach deeper than ever before for motivation uh, I'm still
2: here are i uh let's see uh let's see lots of talk about mushrooms um nicotine time for me and uh, uh me too uh
1: Uh, primary care based surveys have shown that between 11 and 33% of patients report significant fatigue resulting in approximately 7 million office visits per year in the US fatigue is also a common complaint in general population with a prevalence between 4.3 and 21.9% yeah look man I'm fatigued now um
2: I answered that I answered that um is it possible to stay accessible? I'll, I, if I have the patience tomorrow, I'll try and um, clip the paper. Uh, da, 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 da. I've heard that a lot of the bigger archival sites
1: have started taking requests for censorship. I haven't checked and verified that, but yeah, wouldn't surprise me. Uh I know they're always around everything, but I just found that interesting. Yeah, um, um to me it should all be open. You paid for this. <laughs> it still comes for your tax dollars most of the time.
3: Uh
1: oh, maybe uh maybe AI Vector has put it in the chat. Alright, so Lion's main, um maybe uh, very nice posting in that paper okay yeah okay i'm out of here thank you very much for listening um like i say i think these were important uh, just to keep up to date with the literature i guess and you know the look pe- people are going to have their own particular interests and the simple fact is that mine is uh the central nervous system impacts uh from all all angles and the uh the, the war as i see it And, um, I'm doing my best to relay that information as, uh, cleanly and as, uh, well, (laughs) with as much entertainment as possible. Alright, I'm out of here, I'm gonna get some sleep, take care, God bless, um, I maybe not stream tomorrow, depends how my day goes, but, um, Friday, maybe, maybe I can do something with Chris, um, yes i won't see you probably tomorrow all right take care God bless see you in the next one bro you don't know how angry i am you do I'm like i was just leaving for fucking work you do not understand how fucking pissed off after reading that little line, i will be arrested for not taking a fucking vaccine Fuck these i will fucking kill each fucking capper, I swear, this is no fucking joke anymore,
0: this is fucking dead serious, I am fucking dead serious, these people don't know who the fuck they're actually playing with, fuck these cappers, no fucking vaccine or MRI will ever throw through my fucking blood blood, never, i will fucking die, fucking fighting for my fucking bees and my fucking forefathers and my fucking...
1: Motherfuckers! All that
0: five. is good. so up!